1971, there was a historic fight called the Fight of the Century between Joe Frazier and Muhammad Ali. And before the fight, Muhammad Ali said these words. There seems to be some confusion. We're going to clear up this confusion on March 8th. We are going to decide once and for all who is king. There is not a man alive who can whoop me. I'm too smart. I'm too pretty. I am the greatest. I am the king. I should be a postage stamp. That's the only way I could ever get licked. On March 8th, that's the day that he did get licked. He lost to Joe Frazier in the fight of the century. In the book of Proverbs, it says, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Think of the great heights that people have fallen because of pride. There was a perfect angel who fell from heaven because of pride. It was two perfect human beings who were kicked out of a beautiful, perfect garden because of pride. And in our lesson for today, we see a, a great man who fell very far because of pride as well. King Nebuchadnezzar was a great man. He was first and foremost a soldier and a conqueror. He destroyed the two world powers at the time, the Assyrians and the Egyptians, leaving Babylon to be the main world power in all the Middle East. But as great of a conqueror as he was, he was an even greater builder. Babylon was considered to be a very modern city. It had city blocks. It was very well organized. It had irrigation canals coming through it. And it was also home to one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the Hanging Gardens. He reigned in Babylon for 43 years. He really was a great man. But one night as King Nebuchadnezzar was thinking about how great he was and how many wonderful things he had accomplished throughout his life, he has a dream. In this dream, he sees a, a huge tree, a tree that reached all the way up to the sky, a tree that would be visible from all parts of the world. And in this dream, he sees that all the birds, all the birds of the air would, would nest in this tree. He had beautiful uh, and strong branches, giving out fruit to the entire world, and the wild animals would find protection there underneath this tree. But then a messenger of God came down and cried out, tear down this tree, cut it down, strip it from its branches, scatter the fruit so that there's nothing left but a stump. King Nebuchadnezzar woke up, and he called all of his advisors, all of his wise men, and he asked them to interpret the dream for him so that he could understand it. None of them could, and so he called in Daniel. Daniel, uh, one of the wise men that he had, and, and a person who had formerly already interpreted a dream for him many years before. And Daniel knew what the dream meant because God had told him, and yet he was a little afraid to tell him what it meant. But he knew what it meant. You see, he respected his king. He cared for his king. And he didn't wish this on anyone. But King Nebuchadnezzar told him, tell me, tell me what it, what it means so that I can know. And so he did. He says, you are that great big tree. And you are going to fall harder and faster than any man in the history of the world. Not only is all of your, 
all of your blessings, all responsibilities, all of your glory and splendor are going to be completely stripped from you, but you are going to go insane. You're going to act like a wild animal. You're going to live with the wild animals for a time. And Daniel, who cared about his king, says to him, repent. Renounce your sins. Acknowledge that you don't rule. Acknowledge that heaven rules, that God rules. And serve him. King Nebuchadnezzar received a warning. He received a warning in the dream, and then Daniel warned him as well as far as what he was doing wrong and what he should do. The chapter before this, in chapter 3, there's a well-known lesson there from the Bible. The three men of the fiery furnace. Do you remember who the king was during that? It was about 15 years earlier, but it was still King Nebuchadnezzar. And in that lesson, he saw the true power of God. He understood that the real God, the true God, was the God of the Jews. The chapter before that, we have another incredible dream where Nebuchadnezzar was reminded again about the power of the God of the Jews. And yet time after time, his pride continued to come back to him. This time, it took about 12 months for his pride to come back. And one day he was walking on top of his rooftop in his palace, looking at the beautiful city that he constructed. And he says this, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Before he even finished speaking those words, a voice from heaven shouted out to him, This is what is decreed for you. King Nebuchadnezzar, your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. And in that moment, he literally went insane. It says, immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. He suffered from something that's called boanthropy. It's an actual psychotic state that we still have cases of today where a person believes and lives and acts like an animal. And we don't know exactly how long it took. Some people think that the seven times that would pass by was, was seven years, but we definitely know it was a significant amount of time that he was in this state of insanity. Until finally, he would recognize and acknowledge that heaven rules and that he does not. This is what he says, his own testimony. He says, at that time, this is in verse 34, at the, at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. Now, the question as we look at this lesson is, why did God want Nebuchadnezzar to admit or to acknowledge that heaven rules and that he doesn't? And the answer is simple. Because it does. Heaven does rule. God does rule. Right? I remember when I was a kid and my older brother, when, when I would, we would wrestle, 
he'd take my arm at times and, and wrench it up behind my back, and he'd say, say that I'm king. And say, no, I'm not going to say that. And he'd wrench it up a little higher, tell me that I'm king. I'd say, no, I'm not going to, because I was stubborn, and I wasn't going to give him that kind of satisfaction. But when our God gives us the opportunity to live lives that say that heaven rules, because it does, why does it take us until God finally puts our arm behind our back and wrenches it up there before we finally admit it and recognize that we are just servants and he is king? God gives us so many different blessings in this world, so many different responsibilities. And it's easy for us to, to convince ourselves that we have all these things and we have all these responsibilities because of the great things that we have done. And what happens when you look at yourselves like that, what pride does is really it changes you, your status from thinking that you are a servant to becoming a lord. And that's what happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. In fact, listen closely to what Daniel says about how he should repent of this sin. He says this in verse 27. He says to the king, Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. He was obviously doing something where he was oppressing the poor. You see, God had given him all these blessings and all these responsibilities to serve others, to take care of the other people in his kingdom. But instead, he turned it around so that they were serving him. What responsibilities has God given you? Husbands, fathers, you are the spiritual heads of your families, heads of your household. And it's easy for us to, at times, take advantage of that and try to make decisions based upon only what we want rather than what's best for the entire family, even if it means giving over to our wife the role of spiritual head because, well, we think they're better at it anyways. Wives and mothers, is it possible for you to at times want to usurp the authority of your husband because, well, uh, he's, a, he's a pushover anyways? Employees, do you see yourselves as servants of the organization that you work for? Or do all your complainings make, or all your complaints make you sound more like a boss? When it comes to all the money that you have, do you see the money that you have as money that God lent to you so you could use faithfully throughout your life? Or do you see yourself as Lord of that money and you can do whatever you want with it, even if it means neglecting your family or your responsibilities for offerings in church, for taxes for the government, or other responsibilities? When it comes to the talents that you have been given, you see those talents as talents that you have that are for you and for what you want to do with your life rather than for serving others and serving God's kingdom. See, it's easy for a person who has a lot of blessings, who has been blessed so greatly, who has great intelligence, talents, great responsibilities, to think that they are better than other people. But really what God's word tells us is that you are simply more of a servant to other people than others who have less responsibilities and less talents. Remember what Jesus says? He says in the book of Luke, from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And God does not try to break our pride because he's a big bully and he just wants to show you who's boss. 
there's really two main reasons why he wants to do it. And the first one is simply that he wants to make sure that the gifts that you have been given are used for the purposes that he, for which he gave you those gifts. And secondly, and the most important reason is because pride is something that can easily destroy a person's faith. It can. And like an out-of-control freight train, God has to at times derail it. And so he humbles us. He humbles us in different ways throughout our life. And he makes us uncomfortable at times. See, he's willing to sacrifice your comfortable life here so that you don't lose the comfortable life that you're going to someday have in heaven. I have had more than a few people come up to me in the last eight years and say to me, Pastor, why would God allow this to happen to me? As they talk about a tragedy that happened in their life, um, a sad diagnosis, loss of a job. Why would God allow this to happen to me? And the textbook answer, I opened to Romans 8, verse 28, and said, and, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. And I tell him, listen, somehow, someway, God's going to work this out for your good. And a lot of times people don't like that answer. Because they say, are you kidding me? Are you serious? This is for my good? How can this possibly be good, what just happened to me in my life? But we have to take a step back and look at the bigger picture. That God is willing to put at risk because he loves you so much. And as much as he doesn't want to do it, he is willing to sacrifice your physical comfort here, your emotional comfort here, so that you don't lose out on that spiritual comfort in heaven. There are two things that people can do when they hear and they feel like God has humbled them. They can shout out that God is a jerk, and that we're not going to praise someone who demands praise from us. Or we can humble ourselves and admit who we really are and what we actually do deserve in this world. If you think about it, what do you deserve in this world? In this world? The only thing that we deserve is hell. And anything better than hell, consider it a blessing. We can't say that every tragedy that happens in our life is done to humble us because our pride is too great and too high. We can say that in the case of Nebuchadnezzar because God's word tells us that that was what happened. But we can also say that all of us struggle with pride in some way. You can probably think of times when you were humbled in your life. And just like Nebuchadnezzar, who was humbled over and over again and was reminded over and over again that heaven does rule and that he does not, so also we need to be reminded and humbled over and over again because sadly pride continues to come back into our lives. And that's why our God sent a Savior. There's only one person who was more highly praised and exalted and more humbled and then more highly exalted than Nebuchadnezzar, and that was Jesus. The great king of the universe, the creator of the entire world, was humble to the point where we see him on Christmas morning, born to a poor family, born in a stable. But that was only the very beginning of his humiliation. It would get to the point where he would be considered the worst of criminals and die the death of the worst of criminals. 
And unlike Nebuchadnezzar, who was humbled because of his great pride, Jesus was not humbled because of his great pride. He was humbled because of our pride. He was humbled because we wouldn't humble ourselves. But by doing that, he removed each and every one of your sins and pride. And then he was exalted. He ascended to heaven. He sits at the right hand of God as king of kings and lord of lords, but he also exalts you as adopted children of God. And your heavenly father is rich. And he blesses you incredibly throughout your life. And Jesus calls you his brother. And he makes you not his slaves, but co-workers in the most important work in this world to serve others and to serve in God's kingdom. And so if you want to be proud, if you want to boast in something, boast in Christ. Because when we deserve nothing, he gave us everything. Let's live lives that reflect the fact that heaven rules. And there's a lot of ways that we can do that with the different gifts, uh, blessings, and responsibilities that you have been given. With your money. Be careful during this holiday season that you don't overspend. You know, be faithful with the gifts of money that you have been given. And especially, at least for me and my family, January is a time where we really take time to look over our budget so that we make sure that we're being as faithful as we can with the money that we're spending. When it comes to the talents that you have been given, how can you better use those to serve not just yourself but others and to serve in God's kingdom? And what are your different responsibilities? How can you be a better servant as a father, as a husband, as a mother, as a wife, as a son, as a daughter, as a friend, or an employee? Heaven rules. And I pray that our lives always reflect who we are as humble servants who deserve absolutely nothing and yet as children of God who have been given everything. Amen.